My name is Will Hyland. Today is March 6th, 2021. I hope you all are doing better this March than we all did last March. And there's nothing else I need to say about that. Um, thank you all for listening and tuning in today. Um, we have a great show ahead of us. Introduced a couple new segments that I hadn't um, done before, so I'm excited to talk about that. Also excited to get into some more abstract uh, sports debate ideas today, especially as it pertains to uh, the local scene here in New England. Um, I know that in the past I've stayed away from doing just some New England-centric podcasts, but given that we're kind of in the off period in the sports calendar, I figured this would be a great time to you know, dive into some of those ideas. I think the last time you heard from me was right after the Super Bowl, um, and then I skipped the other episode later in February uh, in preparation for this one. So I have a lot of great uh, ideas to share as we go ahead, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think one of the best parts about um, this time of year in sports is it opens it, it opens up the door to many different conversations. Um, you have the off season in the NFL. You have the baseball seasons, spring training. You have the NBA and the NHL in full swing. You have college sports usually heating up as it pertains to both the March Madness basketball tournaments and also the uh, college baseball is heating up as a sport as well. So it's usually a great time to talk about sports uh, as it pertains to the big picture, and I'm really looking forward to doing that today. Um, I think another thing that this time of year uh, gives each sports fan is an opportunity to assess, you know, their team. This is usually the time of year when, you know, local or national governments will do a state of the union or a state of the state address. So I think it's actually a great time to talk about the state of Boston sports. Um, the spring is a good time for new beginnings and, and outlooks. Uh, and much like the beginning of the the calendar year is I think the end of winter is another great time for that. So I think that's where we're going to start because I think there was a debate that I was having the other day with my friends that was really, um, you know, really intriguing and it, it made a lot of sense to continue talking about. And that was that, um, you know, wh where are we as a, as a Boston sports landscape? Where is the, you know, where is the next championship going to come from? Is it going to come from the places that it's been coming from the past five to ten years, given the Red Sox and the Patriots? Or is it going to come from the Bruins or the Celtics, both of which are having fairly fairly strong seasons? I think the Bruins are a little bit more consistent than the Celtics have been, but I think the Celtics probably have a higher ceiling given their, um, just given the landscape of the league. I think the NHL's very competitive. Um, and, and I'll get to that later. Um, but as, but as I, as I said, I think this is a, this is a topic that's very, uh, enticing for a lot of people. It will engage a lot of different debate. Uh, it will engage a lot of different, um, ideas about, you know, what, what different people might think the, the best outcome is for a Boston team, what people might think the best outcome is for a, for an individual player this season, and, and, and I think that's that's really fun and special to talk about. I actually ran a poll two Thursdays ago um, when I said, which Boston team will win or go to a championship next? And the Bruins had 
71% of the vote. I only had 24 votes, so it's not a huge sample size. Um, but 71% of respondents believed it would be the Bruins. And and I can see why. But as I said, they've been the more the more consistent of the four teams over the last two or three calendar years. I mean, obviously the Patriots and the Red Sox have won championships in that time, but they have taken significant drop-offs since those uh, championship runs, and we all know why and how that happened. Um, so I think the Bruins is obviously like the main choice, the choice that people would go to first. But let's also talk about it in this realm where the NHL is extremely competitive, as I said. I mean, the Bruins are in a division with other teams that are perennial contenders, you know, Pittsburgh, Washington. You know, sure, they got they got out and they didn't have to play in the same division as Tampa or Florida, but those teams are not the perennial contenders year in and year out for a Stanley Cup that the Penguins and the Capitals have been over the course of the last 10 years. And, of course, part of that has to do with the, the fact that Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin are playing in your division, and that's never been the case with the Bruins. The Maple Leafs and the Panthers and the and the Lightning, I mean, they're all talented teams, but there were also teams that the Bruins had constant exposure to, and while talented, I wouldn't say that they necessarily had the star power or the playoff experience that the Capitals and the... Uh, Penguins have had over the last 10 years or so. So when you look at when you look at the the outlook of the divisions, the Bruins while they got lucky to not have to play the Maple Leafs and the Lightning eight times a year, they end up having to play the Flyers who are also good that I didn't mention. The Capitals, the Penguins, the Islanders, who, by the way, have sort of had the Bruins number this entire this entire season so far. So it hasn't necessarily been a smooth ride in that um, in that form for the Bruins this year. They've had some rough spells. They had a spell two or three weeks ago where they, you know, they were winning games. They were going. I think they got points in 11 straight outings, I want to say, but then they lost four out of five. So that's, that's going to happen over the course of an NHL season, but it's, it's certainly something that um, I think the Bruins can overcome. It's just a matter of when they get to the playoffs with the new format that they're in. How is that going to translate? Are they still going to get secondary scoring from the Charlie Coyle line, or are they going to rely on the Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak line? Um, because we all know that in recent years, when that line has dried up in the postseason, that's when the Bruins have gotten into trouble. And I'm afraid that's going to happen again. Um, because that's just how talented and competitive the NHL is. I, I, I think the Bruins are certainly the team with the best chance, but I think they're also the team with the highest... Um, barriers in their conference and in their path to to getting there um certainly you can make that argument about the patriots or the celtics or the red sox i mean you can make that argument about the three but i think in terms of the playoff structure and what the bruins will have to overcome to make it to a stanley cup i think yes they have the best chance but i also think they have the hardest path 
they have the best chance because they're the best team of the four. But they also, I believe, like I said, have the hardest path of the four. And, and you know, as we know, a lot of what happens in the postseason comes down to goaltending. And Tuka Rask has played very well this year, but we all know what, what can happen in the playoffs. And next on the list, a lot of people said the Celtics. 17% said the Celtics. And I think the Celtics are a talented team with great young nucleus. You don't have to... You don't really have to spend too much time talking about that because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown speak for themselves. But they also play in a conference that's loaded. And people might say, well, yeah, well, the, the East isn't as good as the West. Yes, you're right. The East is not as good as the West. But when you talk about Philly, you talk about Milwaukee, you talk about Miami, these are teams that the Celtics have had a hard time with over the last year or two. Of course, there's the Raptors as well. The Raptors, I believe, took them to seven games last spring or last summer. So, of course, there there are ways, you know, in the NBA where something can change in an instant, right? Something can, you know, a team that can, teams are really streaky. You know, that like the Nets, for example. I didn't even mention the Nets. The Nets, a lot of people thought the Nets were dif- dysfunctional. Next thing you know, they're 24 and 13 and half a game out of the top spot. You know, the the Heat, people thought the Heat were going to falter. Well, the Heat are 7 and 3 in their last 10. They're on the, ro- on, they're on the way up. The Knicks, people didn't think the Knicks were going to be that great this year. Outside of New York, the Knicks, they're 7 and 3 in their last 10. The Nets are nine and one, so the the Eastern Conference in the NBA is also very strong. Probably not as strong as the Eastern Conference in the NHL, but still very strong as a whole. And so it will be hard for the Celtics to get out of there. They've played they've played fairly well this season. They've had some good they've had some good stretches and they've had some poor stretches. I thought a couple of weeks ago when they played in Atlanta, they looked like they quit. But Kemba Walker, I mean, give him credit. He's played very well offensively in the last couple in the last couple uh, games. And, and I think for them, it will come down to health. It will come down to health and it will come down to effort. I think when the Celtics team tries, they're very good. And I think when they don't try, they're not very good and they're not fun to watch. Um... And and I don't know if Brad Stevens is going to be the coach that will bring them to the promised land. It seems like we've been talking for four or five years now about the Celtics being one year away from winning a championship or one year away from making it to a championship. And and I'm not sure if if that's necessarily the case. Um, so that will remain to be seen. I don't know if they're one year away. I don't know if they're two years away. I don't know if they're three years away. So I, I don't know. I think the Celtics have probably the second best shot so far. I'd agree with the I'd agree with the outlook here, but I'm not I'm not sold either way on, on the Boston Celtics. I think they have some young players that are playing really well. I don't think Robert Williams is getting enough credit. Um but I also think they have some holes in the team uh that will need to be addressed. Certainly they're not the same without Marcus Smart, and we'll get to that a little later, too, in the mailbag section. 
Um, and then I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the Red Sox and the Patriots because you two know me. I could go on and on and spend a whole show about those two uh, teams because they're the ones that I concentrate on the most. Um, but when I look at the Red Sox, I look at a team that's at a crossroads. They look a lot like they did five or six years ago. They have sort of a young nucleus. They have some proven veterans. They don't really have a lot of starting pitching. And they don't really have any anyone on the team that you could call an ace. I know Chris Sale, you could call him an ace, but right now he's hurt. So they don't have anyone on the team that you could call an ace right now. I think Eduardo Rodriguez is great, but I think he's too injury prone. I think Nathan Evaldi's never been that guy, so why expect him to be that guy now? And I think that the same can be said for some of their other pitchers. They're all unproven. There's a lot of question marks. So as we look into the season, I think they're going to compete for a wild card, but I think they'll be out of it by mid-August. I think the last six weeks of the year will look like a, will look a lot like last year. But I think they'll be competitive, uh, and then ultimately the injuries will catch up to them. So I agree with my poll, uh, where only, I think it was only 10% of respondents, excuse me, 13% of respondents said the Red Sox. And then the Patriots, the Patriots, <laughs> oh boy, that'll be a whole nother episode by itself. I don't think the Patriots will be in the Super Bowl anytime soon. Um, I think they're in a half rebuild. I think they'll need to, they'll need a tight end. They'll need a quarterback. They'll need a receiver. They'll need some front seven help. Um, but I, I agree with the Patriots getting zero percent of the of the poll. I think it will be a long time before the Patriots get back to where we are. Partly because there's a lot of talented young quarterbacks in their division and in their conference. We don't know what's going to happen with the landscape of the AFC as it pertains to. Uh, the quarterback carousels that could happen or the draft. Um, so I think a lot of that uh, is up in the air for the Patriots. So that's my segment about the outlook of the teams. One more uh, outlook that I had is centered around who is Boston's superstar. And there are three names that I want to focus on in that discussion. But first, we're going to take a quick break, and then I'll come back and I'll give you those three names. Then we'll get into the mailbag. You are listening to Home Field Advantage, proudly recorded with Anchor Podcasts. If you have ever thought about making a podcast or recording one on your own, Anchor makes it so easy. You just have to go to http colon slash slash. Just kidding. You don't have to type that in. Just go in and write anchor.fm. That's anchor like a boat. A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. You can record a podcast on your phone, on your laptop. Quickly upload the audio. Next thing you know, you can distribute your podcast all over the web on any platform like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. It's so easy to use and it's so easy to distribute once you have. You don't even have to do anything. It used to be when I was a kid, when I was a boy, that you'd have to go in and you'd have to contact Apple, contact Spotify, and then find a way to distribute it, your, distribute it excuse me, yourself without an RSS feed if you didn't even have one of those. 
very hard, very hard. It's so easy, I can do it, as my friend says as well. So again, if you want to create your own podcast and start making money or building an audience, do so by going to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. All right, welcome back to Home Field Advantage. My name is Will Highland. Right before the ad there about Anchor, we were going to talk about the three big stars in Boston sports and who exactly is the, quote, king of Boston. This is a debate that my friends and I were having the other day, and I'm a little biased, so I had a I had a certain outlook on it, but it was great to hear my friend's perspective, and I said, this is something that I want to talk about on my next show. So it's pretty easy to think about when you've got four teams plus the New England Revolution. Unfortunately, the MLS is not big enough to really produce a superstar in this area. Um, so we're, we're really looking at the four big teams here. You've got the Celtics, the Bruins, the Red Sox, and the Patriots. The Patriots, obviously, for almost two decades, had the biggest star in Boston sports in Tom Brady. Well, he's not there anymore. So who is the king of Boston sports? Some people might want to stick with the Patriots and say Julian Edelman. I would like that. However, Julian Edelman, he's kind of on the back nine of his career. I think he's on the 16th green at this point, to be honest. He hasn't quite gotten it to the 18th tee, but he's on his way there. So with Edelman, I'm not really sure I want to include him in the conversation. That pretty much leaves a handful of names from some other teams in the in the region. But I, like I said, I really want to focus on three. I want to focus on David Pasternak from the Bruins. I want to focus on, of course, Jason Tatum from the Celtics. And then lastly, I want to focus on Xander Bogarts from the Red Sox. As a baseball guy, Bogarts has always been my favorite player. He wears the number that I wore as a child and as a teenage player. And he plays the position that I played when I was a kid. And he plays for the hometown team. He's just a likable guy. So you want you want to say Xander Bogarts. He's also the only one who's won a championship of the three that I mentioned. So Xander Bogarts is probably one of the most well-respected players in the game and probably the second best shortstop in the AL um, now that uh, now that uh, Lindor is a Met and although you could argue he's even the best in the AL now that Francisco Lindor is on the Mets uh, you could make an argument about Carlos Correa but I prefer guys that don't cheat so Xander Bogarts is obviously in that conversation it would be foolish to not include him in that conversation just because of the winning and the in the pedigree that he has, and also the the leadership that he has carried in on that team, but I also am afraid that he's a little bit of a flight risk. I said this to my friend about Jason Tatum. My friend said, "Well, Bogarts is a little bit of a flight risk too," so that's a little bit scary. Now, when it comes to Tatum, I loved, I like Tatum. It was clearly a great draft pick. He also is a young player with a lot of upside and someone who is very charismatic and a lot of people on his team love him. He was third overall pick in 2017. He's from Duke. You know, he's a, he's only 23 years old. He's 6'8". He's athletic. You know, he's averaging 25 points a game this year. You know, seven rebounds, four, assi- four and a half assists. I mean, he's doing a lot on the floor, and he's an all-star for a reason. My one concern about Tatum, though, is 
like Bogarts, he's a flight risk. Now, does this matter in determining whether they're a superstar or the current king of Boston? I agree. I think it does. Because if someone's going to be the king of Boston sports, then they need to have a reign. They need to be someone who is going to be on the team for a long time. Someone who is go- not going to leave. If you're going to give someone the title of king, you don't want you don't want your king to up and leave after a couple of years. And I'm afraid with Tatum and Bogarts, that could very well happen. I don't want it to happen, but I feel like it could. Another thing about Tatum is, is he ever going to be what we think he's going to be? The other guys, I mean, we're not expecting Xander Bogarts to be, I don't know, I don't think anyone's expecting him to be a Hall of Fame type player like Derek Jeter. I don't think anyone's expecting that of him right now. I think he's shown the kind of player he is. He could very well get his way into Cooperstown. I'm not disputing that. But I don't think anyone's comparing him to be an all-time great. I think a lot of Celtics fans expect Tatum to be on the level of Kawhi or LeBron someday. And I don't know if that's warranted. I don't know if that's accurate, but I just get that feeling about Tatum. I I like I like Jason Tatum, but I'm not sure he'll ever be that. I mean, he's certainly been someone who's who's progressing in his career, and I think he will be a superstar one day. I mean, if you just look at his minutes and points per game, he's taken big leaps and bounds over the last couple of years. I mean, he went from 15 to 23. In just two in just two seasons, in terms of his average points a game, I think he's right up there, currently, as being one of the top players in in the in the East and in the game. But I'm not sure if he'll ever make it to the echelon that people are expecting him to be. And that leads me to the third player, which is David Pasternak, who I also agree might not be what we think he will be over time in terms of a top player of all time. I don't think by the end of his career we'll be mentioning him as one of the best players to ever suit up in a, in an NHL uniform. However, we might be saying that he might be one of the best Bruins to ever play. And the reason being is I just look at I just look at what he's done over the past few few years. I mean, he's consistently scored 30 or more goals. goals. If it wasn't for the pandemic last year, I'm fairly certain that he would have scored over 50 goals. And the Bruins hadn't had a 50 goal score in a long time. And the Bruins had never had a Rocket Richard trophy winner in the history of the franchise since it was since the trophy was established in 1999. So David Pasternak, has, he's been to a Stanley Cup. He's won a scoring trophy. He's signed for another two seasons at least. And I'm I'm inclined to think that by then the Bruins will have moved on from David Krejci and possibly Tuka Rask and that David Pasternak will be re-upped as a member of the Bruins. And I also believe that by then he'll be an alternate captain as Patrice Bergeron and the rest of the Corps continue to age. That is my expectation with David Pasternak. I'm not expecting him to be the best player to ever play in the NHL, or I'm not even expecting him to be on the same level current with current guys like 
Crosby or Ovechkin, but I think that he's good enough to win a Hart Trophy. He's good enough to win a championship, and for that reason, I have to believe that he is the best player in Boston right now. I have to believe that he's the best superstar the, the sports region has to offer at this point. More than welcome to disagree with me. I can see an argument for any of the guys. But if I had to pick a three, he's the least likely to be a flight risk. He's the least likely to not achieve expectations. And he's the most likely because, as I said earlier, his team is the most likely to win a championship next. And so I have I have to say David Pasternak. So that was my big picture overlook at the two um, sort of 35,000 foot views of the Boston sports world. As in, who's the best player in, in the town right now? And who's and which, excuse me, which team is most likely to win a championship next? So I thought that was a fun discussion. I'd love to hear what you all think. Um, but one of the reasons why I like to hear what you all think is why I introduced the mailbag section. So I had three mailbag questions this week, so it's great. I get to I get to respond to all three of them. First one comes from Matt. Matt says, is John Henry going to sell the Red Sox? I don't think John Henry's going to sell the Red Sox. I think for him, it's a cash cow. I think for him, he's making a lot of money with Liverpool. He's making a lot of money with some of the other um Projects that he has, whether that be the Globe, Nesson, um, or any other venture that Fenway Sports Group has. So I think the Red Sox at this point represent a cash cow. And I also don't believe that the Red Sox or baseball teams at large are going to be very uh, valuable going forward. So why would he sell the Red Sox if he didn't think he could get the best value for them? Now, an investor might say, well, why wouldn't you sell them now when their value's arguably at the highest? Well, I think there's a lot of uncertainty right now about sports and how they're going to be profitable going forward with the pandemic at large and the questions surrounding uh, ancillary revenue. What do I mean by ancillary revenue? I mean, a lot of times people look at the at sports and they think about ticket sales and they think about concessions and they think about uh, all that sort of, all that sort of thing, and those are, those are probably the primary revenue for a lot of teams is ticket sales, sponsorships, and concessions and souvenirs and things of that nature. However, as a sport management graduate, I can tell you that there's also a lot of other ways that a team makes revenue or generates revenue. In Baseball in particular, it's not as much about TV money as it as it is about those other things that I just mentioned. However, John Henry owns Nesson. They are probably doing very well being the sole broadcaster of Red Sox games. I believe if he were to sell the Red Sox, he would also have a hard time not selling Nesson. Now, is he the sole owner of Nesson? I'm not sure. I, I do not know the financial details of that. But I would be hard-pressed to believe that he would sell the Red Sox and let go of Nesson as well. And for that reason, I don't think an, another buyer would want to purchase the Red Sox without also having their hands in the pot 
as it concerned the local TV affiliate. So I know that was kind of a long-winded way of saying this, but there's so much uncertainty around TV and sports going forward that there's probably not a good likely chance that anyone, especially someone of John Henry's stature, would put their team up for sale in Major League Baseball at this mo- at this moment. I know there was some talk with the Mets. I understand that. But I just don't think that John Henry would be smart to do it. And I don't think that he will. Now, the question of should he is an entirely different topic. And I could do an entire show on that. So maybe we'll keep that for next show. But for now, I don't think John Henry's going to sell the Red Sox. I've been wrong before, though. Michael asks, how do we feel about the Tom Wilson hit? Or, excuse me, that Tom Wilson hit. So, in case you didn't know, last night in the Bruins-Capitals game, there was a vicious hit from Tom Wilson to Brandon Carlo. Brandon Carlo had to be brought out um, into, into the hospital. He left the game. He did not make his way back, and it was very scary um, for those involved. So... I, what do we think? I think most people know that that hit has no place in the NHL and that it's extremely dangerous to not penalize that or give him a game misconduct for that. Now, I'm not an expert in NHL rules, so I don't want to go down that road. But what I will say is this. I'm a little concerned that we're spending too much time talking about Tom Wilson and his um, and his disciplinary proceeding than we are about the fact that Brandon Carlo could be in serious trouble. His career could be in jeopardy. Unfortunately, this reminds me of what happened to Mark Savard 11 years ago, almost 11 years ago this month, I believe, where he was hit by... Uh, Matt Cook of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I will remember it, remember it vividly, actually. And uh, he was never the same player. He ended up getting hit the following year by, um, I believe, Matt Hunwick, who was a former Bruin who played for the um, Coyotes at the time, or the Avalanche, one of those Western teams. Excuse me. And Mark Savard was never the same player. Mark Savard was someone who probably would have been a Boston Bruin the remainder of his career, of his career. Uh, you know, it probably would have, they probably would have um, had some salary cap troubles later on in his career, but I think Mark Savard would have been a Bruin. And unfortunately, we never got to see Mark Savard finish his career um, on, on the right note. So I'm afraid that we are talking too much about Tom Wilson and not enough about Brandon Carlo as a player and the fact that Brandon Carlo is one of the best young players that the Bruins have. He's going to be probably a stalwart on their um, on their defensive lines for a long time. And I think that he's someone who is a great two-way player. I think he's got height. I think he's got speed. I think he's good with the puck. I think he plays in his own end well. I th- I think Brandon Carlo is a great player. You know, and he's only 24 years old. You know, he's one of those kids. He came up through the development program. 
you know, he played minor hockey like they all do. He was a possible first round pick, but he ended up being, uh, I believe, a second round pick in 2015. You know, he's just a great player. And I think that he's one of those players that has a really high ceiling uh, if he's able to continue to develop and become a a a mainstay on this Bruins team. I'm just afraid that uh, that his career could be in jeopardy. Uh, again, I know it's probably too early to tell, but it is it is a little it is a little uh, scary on that front. Um, the last question came from Brandon, and, and he said, "What moves do the Celtics have to make before they before the trade deadline to become a contender, or do they stand pat and hope that Smart's return gives them a boost?" Well, I think it's safe to say that the Celtics need some help on defense. Um, now, Marcus Smart will certainly offer that. I think Robert Williams has shown that he can play both sides of the ball pretty well. Um, but I'm not sure that they'll make a move. They just, it doesn't seem like they ever make a move when you want them to make a move. Trader Danny hasn't really been Trader Danny in a long time. I'm thinking about some of the moves he's made over the last four or five years, and at the deadline, they necessarily haven't brought anyone in that's really made an impact. I mean, obviously, Isaiah Thomas... They brought him in. I could be missing someone because I have to admit I don't follow the Celtics as closely as I do the other sports. But they they just seem like they don't they don't go out and get guys in at the deadline. It seems like they always stand pat. So I believe to answer Brandon's question that they'll stand pat and hope that Marcus Smart's return gives them a boost on defense. I just think that. They're not far away from being a contender right now. I don't think they're in the same echelon as the Nets or the Bucks. Um, I'm or the Sixers for certain. Uh, but I think that over time, they'll probably they'll probably go on a few more winning streaks, like, and they'll probably also go on a few more losing streaks. So I am inclined to believe that they'll end up probably in the same place right now. So I think they're already a contender in the East. I don't know if they're going to actually survive the second round. Especially if they get matched up against a team like Philadelphia or a team like um, Milwaukee. Uh, that's given them trouble. Um, or they could be vulnerable if they play a lower seed like the Heat. Um, so we'll, it remains, we'll see, it remains to be seen what exactly the NBA landscape will look like in a month and a half, um, or two months, whenever the season concludes, I probably two months at this point. I'm not sure when exactly the last game is, but yeah, if I, if I had to make a guess, I would say that the Celtics would probably stamp Pat and bank on the fact that Marcus Smart uh, return will give them a boost, um, partly because they still have the trade exception, and I think they're more likely to move someone in the off season than they will at the trade deadline. That's just the past few years seems to be the case. Well, those were the three mailbag questions. I like doing that. I always like contributing and uh, and working with uh, 
some friends and some listeners on making the show more entertaining and more enticing to viewers, so, or excuse me, to listeners. Um, very, very happy to do that, and, and very, you know, very excited to be talking about talking about sports. I think we're, everyone's sick of politics and coronavirus, and so the fact that we have this to talk about, and we have arguably all four sports going on in one way, shape, or form right now, it's uh, pretty, pretty fun, and uh, looking forward to continuing this, and um, to continuing make the podcast uh, very, uh, very interesting, I should say, or I don't know, I hate using the term very interesting, but I end up using it more often than that, so what's the word I can use? I look forward to you to making the podcast more entertaining because it's all about growing listenership and growing our love of sports in the community. So that's what it's all about for me. Um, very excited to continue this and to have you all on as listeners. Um, feel free to follow me on Instagram at homefieldpod on Instagram. That's at homefieldpod on Instagram to see some of my posts here and there. And um, look again, Thanks, thanks for listening, and uh, my name is Will Highland. This is Home Field Advantage. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, whether that be Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or another platform. Home Field Advantage is produced and recorded by Will Highland under, under the umbrella of Sportland America. Home Field Advantage is an independent program, and the opinions shared on this program do not reflect those of any other company or entity.